What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. Today is Wednesday. It's September 27th. Episode 209. We are cooking through these things when uh, football season gets here because we do two a week. And it's a lot of fun to bring you a week's worth of uh, a week's worth of Sooner stuff two times every week. We love doing that. Hey, that's Ryan Chapman. He's over in Moore. I'm John Hoover, and I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet is going to join us for segment three to talk a little recruiting. But first, we got to wrap up Oklahoma's trip. First real trip, first true road trip to Cincinnati. While we're doing that, we'll wrap up our first road trip, Randall's first road trip anywhere, basically, um, Cincinnati. Ryan, day one, Skyline. We closed it out strong with Pompilio's. We had a burger on uh, Saturday night after the game. It was a great trip. We got to hang out with a lot of Oklahoma sports writers um, all three days, basically, two and a half days. How was your trip? How'd you like it? We uh, we did it right. It was my first time to Cincinnati. I've done a lot of trips to, like, the coast. Uh, I've done a lot of, like, D.C., Virginia, uh, Charleston. I've done Florida a bunch. But as far as, like, the northeast goes, like, Pennsylvania. You're not a big Midwest guy. You just, yeah. you, what do you, why do you hate the Midwest? I'll take well, your answer off. Of the, like I've done New York city <laughs> down to like Pennsylvania was as close to like Midwest. I don't even really like consider Pittsburgh. I guess Pittsburgh a little more. We didn't really get to spend a ton of time in Pittsburgh. So I didn't know what to expect of Cincy. I, I, in my head, I have all these horror stories from people of Cleveland and I was just like Cincinnati, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. Maybe it's just going to be windy and gross and concrete and it was a ton of fun. I, I enjoyed the trip in and out. It was a uh, a really good host city, one that, you know, it was kind of popping because you had the Reds playing a big series at home against the Pirates. Monday Night Football hadn't quite gone to a full fervor yet with the, the Rams and the Bengals. You had FC Cincinnati and, and Charlotte in the MLS world on Saturday night. And then Cincy hosting their first Big 12 game. So, there was some juice, there was some energy, some buzz in the city, which made it really fun in the time. So we weren't just kind of uh, hanging out with the Oklahoma beat. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's always good to uh, to spend a couple of days in another city with a lot of your friends on the beat and your coworkers and your colleagues. It's cool. It's really the best thing about what we do uh, is not the games. The games are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But the camaraderie, the hanging out, the jokes, the laughs uh, with the people that you work with literally every day. Uh, and getting to hang out with them in a different setting and see them in a different light and talk to them about different subjects. That's my favorite part. That and the food. Now, can we talk Skyline real quick? Can we talk Skyline? Listen to me very closely. I love chili. I'm not like a chili snob. I'm not like a chili connoisseur, but I do love chili. I also love ice cream. Okay, ice cream cone, right? Here's my analogy for Skyline Chili. Ice cream cone. In this hand, you're holding an ice cream cone. Over in this hand, I put a popsicle. Well, if you don't know what this is, you're going to bite into it, and you're going to think it's cold, and it's sweet, and it's delicious, and it's, this is ice cream. This is not ice cream. Stop trying to compare it to ice cream. This is ice cream. Okay, this is chili. Over here, you've got a popsicle, which is can be compared to Skyline Chili. Totally different. It's not chili. It's like some kind of cinnamon sweet meat sauce that they put on various topics. It's not chili. So don't get mad at me for saying 
I really like Skyline Chili. I do. I love chili, but I also like Skyline Chili, which are two different things. Haters. So keep it to yourselves. I Ryan? Did, I didn't understand like the outpouring of like hate from it. I was like, I love chili cheese dogs. It's one of my favorite things in the world, especially when it's like, and I love me some Sonic, and this is not a shot at Sonic, but it's different when you have like some shredded cheese as opposed to kind of like the melted cheese at like a fast yeah. food spot. You know what I mean? They take the time to, to really do the dogs upright, all that. Shout out. Uh, we, we we will never forget Top Dogs Classic Cody's in Norman America has a very right. close, near and dear place to my heart. It it was different. Like you can tell that there there's something just different. And, and if you're so conditioned to Texas chili or Oklahoma chili, something that may feel off. I love chili cheese dogs in Oklahoma. I loved my Skyline chili cheese dog. I don't understand why she's like, that's the most disgusting thing in the world. I was like, you probably yeah. don't like chili. Like, or like, like chili cheese dogs. Like, like I like chili cheese dogs. Like you like a certain kind of chili. That's fair. I've never met a chili cheese dog. I've never, I didn't like unless it had mustard on it. And that's a me thing. If, Cause I don't like mustard. If you hate, yes. If you hate Skyline, it's because you went in trying to compare it to a really good four alarm Texas chili or yeah. Southwestern chili. And you, you tasted it and you thought, Oh, what is this? No, don't you got to completely change your expectations. It's good. It's not great, but it's good. Now, Pompilio's is great, Ryan. And Italian food opened in 19... Uh, is this the 99th year of this restaurant? 1933, 1934, I think. I can't remember. That'd be what, 89 years? Uh, I don't know. They, uh, they, they basically, they... The reason it's famous is they filmed a scene from, uh, from Rain Man in there when... Uh, Tom Cruise is, is uh, having breakfast with his brother and they're talking about pancakes and the waitress comes, Sally Dibbs, Dibbs Sally. And he reads her phone number and he memorized the phone book from the night before. And then he, uh, she opens the toothpicks and the toothpicks go all over the floor. And he says, he counts them and he says, 82, 82, 82. And she says, there's still four left in the box. That scene, that whole scene was filmed in Pompilios. And I love going back there. Which is cool. I get to stand and hold the phone, the pay phone that Tom Cruise made a phone call on, right? That's cool. But what's really cool is that damn Italian food. They are some of the best I've ever had. It, that was an electric factory. And <laughs> I, for two reasons. So I also, with Skyline, not to, to put a bow on that, I didn't do the the spaghetti, you know, the, the three ways, yep. four ways, five ways. Partly because I just love chili cheese dogs. Other part was knowing we were doing Italian that night. I was like, I'm not going to bastardize my Pompilio's experience by getting... <laughs> Fast food spaghetti, essentially, is what that is. And I got the, what, chicken marsala? Woo! Yeah. That bad boy hits. You did it right with the sampler and some extra sides. We uh, we had a, a phenomenal time. That was the one. I think that was the dinner that I had heard for some other guys on the beat that they weren't there. And that was the one that they were like, I was getting some FOMO because the group was really good. The Italian food looked really good. It was incredible. And, and we got to shame some of our uh, beat members for not knowing who Dustin Hoffman is. Uh, that was stunning to me. Who's Dustin Hoffman? Have you ever heard of Tom Cruise? Uh, <laughs> you've never seen this movie. It won a best picture. I mean, okay. Not, I'm we not going to out anybody. Not going to out anybody. But <laughs> we work with a bunch of youngsters. That, well, it, it wasn't just that, though. I felt like I was having to fight my own battle of being like, I am 27 years old. Other people in this group who don't know who the hell Dustin Hoffman is, they are also 27 years old, and that should they should not reflect on me, just as I should probably not reflect on them. And yeah. Garrett Emig learned that Saturday night. I don't think Garrett had ever watched me watch a Chelsea game 
before to see how stressed <laughs> I get. He certainly had not ever seen me watch a Notre Dame Ohio State game that I was very into because he was like, "What is happening?" I thought this was gonna yeah. peter off. I was like, "No, the the level it, you have to raise it, Garrett. You have to you have to match the intensity on the field." College football was insane on Saturday night. It was a lot of fun to get away from the stadium, get out there to a sports bar and watch a couple of games. But yeah, man, um, who's Dustin Hoffman? What has he ever been in? You know what I thought about? You know what I thought about? Because we work with a bunch of 20-year-olds. I thought about saying he was in... <laughs> I can't believe I'm going here. He was in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. that, that He was Master that. Shifu. And they would go... Oh, that's I know who that is. Yeah, golly, it it, it was uh, that was the interesting part of it. But it was a great time the whole way through. Very very yep. thankful for. Um, there are times where the Oklahoma beat makes news on Twitter and stuff like that for infighting or stuff like that, <laughs> and I, I wonder if that's what people see on the outside it's just yeah. like any office any coworkers. even though we don't all technically work for the same group uh you have office drama but then you have that friday night office outing that goes off without a hitch and everyone's together and having a ton of fun and that's what it was like and i i really enjoy that there's a lot of giving there's a lot of sharing on this beat there just is we're all close we're all good friends we work so hard we don't have real lives so so you guys are like our family that's that's what it is Pretty much. I, I, I see Eddie more than I see probably anyone else in my life right now, which is a weird yeah. thing to like square that <laughs> circle. It's like I see Eddie and Hoove more than I see my parents and my sister. There you go. I totally understand. All right. Uh, if you've made it this far with us through the podcast, uh, you know that we're going to right now at this moment dive into the Sooners most recent game. 20 to 6, a victory at Cincinnati. I would say Oklahoma still hasn't played anybody. I would say Cincinnati's not any good. I think that's doing Oklahoma a little disservice. I do. I think Oklahoma has uh, played some bad teams and blew them out of the water. Okay. I think Oklahoma has played some mediocre teams and won both those games comfortably. Uh, and here's what, here's where they're, here's where the Oklahoma fan base is at. I'm not trying to tell you people your business, but I, I've been around this uh, beat for 20 years and I've gotten a good read, I think, on the fan base and what your expectations are. There's a thought right now that if Oklahoma had won this game 54 to 40, you guys would be like, yeah, 54 points, baby. Woo! Hung half a hundred on them. And you gave up 40. You gave up six this time. Be happy. Be proud. Uh, be excited that your defense is... Your defense at Oklahoma is what's winning you football games right now. Offense limping along a little bit at times in some areas. Defense is kicking butt. Yeah, it it, it feels like I think you're totally right there, Hoove. It's like a, a, a retraining of what the expectation is, right? If this was a thirty to twenty or thirty-four to twenty win for Oklahoma, would 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 you have felt better as a fan base? Maybe, but. I think it's two things. One, you can be really, really happy about a, a defensive performance in which Oklahoma gave up zero touchdowns and made Emory Jones, who is like an okay college quarterback. There's a reason he lost his job at Florida, but there's also a reason that Arizona State wanted him, and there's a reason that Cincinnati wanted him. But how many times over the last seven, eight years has it been a meh college quarterback that's looked like a Heisman candidate, and they're on player of the week stuff, whereas – 
Oklahoma's defense made Emory Jones look like Emory Jones. And that's a great thing. On the other side, I think it's also okay to say that was a good Cincinnati defensive line, but there can be frustration that Oklahoma had plays to be made and didn't. Dylan Gabriel missed a couple of throws. Uh, the two that really stand out to me were still that Jill Farouk overthrow and the Jaden Gibson one, which as I watched that one back and back, it looked even more frustrating to me watching it back, having some replays. There weren't a lot of replays in the stadium as opposed to what it was live. And I think that's almost an encouraging thing, though, that, that Oklahoma found some success in the running game. It wasn't four quarters, but they showed it was there. They showed there were plays to be made. So that's a good thing. Now, the flip side of that is when Oklahoma plays Texas next week, if you do not make those plays, you will not win the football game. Texas is too good of a team that if you, if there's a coverage bust and Jalil Farouk's behind the defense, you got to score a touchdown in the Cotton Bowl. It just has to happen. So we'll dive into that. That's been a lot of the discourse since this game wow. happened. But all in all, looking back, Oklahoma made a Cincinnati team that I think is fine and not elite look really mediocre. And that's what good teams do. Good teams make bad teams look really bad. Check to Arkansas State. They made Tulsa look really bad. And they made SMU and Cincinnati look a step below. And, and that didn't happen at any time once you hit conference play last year for Oklahoma. Yeah, I went back and looked, Ryan, at some of the defensive numbers uh, all the way back to 2018. That was Mike Stoops' last half season. Uh, 2019, Alex Grinch's first season. They they showed some obvious improvement in year one. Year two, they dropped off in 2020. Uh, there was some COVID stuff that year, so you kind of throw that out, throw that out with the bathwater right there. But uh, 2021, 2022 for sure, which was Brent Venables last year, or sorry, first year last season, and then 2023. You look at those numbers and defensively through four games, we're talking about four games, a third of the season. Defensively, this team just looks different. They play different. They put up different numbers. They've missed fewer tackles. They've gotten off the field uh, in on third down and fourth down a lot more frequently, a lot more efficiently. And that's the thing is you you said it right perfectly. If this were last year's team, Emory Jones would have been the you know all-state football uh, Pepperidge Farms national player of the week, right? He would have done something that would have been you. You'd have said, "Oh my God, that guy's unbelievable," like Adrian Martinez, right? Like like the quarterbacks that did it last year against Oklahoma. So far, nobody's got going against this defense, and that's the encouraging thing. I'm thinking if you're an OU fan, you look at this and you say, "Wait a minute, could this defense be for real?" We'll find out in two weeks in the Cotton Bowl. But if they do it in two weeks in the Cotton Bowl, you guys got to give it up to them. You guys got to stop complaining and stop being fearful and say, okay, maybe Brent Venables does know, know what he's doing on defense. Yeah, and weirdly enough, this is an insane statement. It, like if you had asked me four weeks ago, I would have told you you're a crazy person. I have more questions about the offense going into Iowa State and Texas yeah. than I do about the defense. That Completely does not agree. mean that this is the 85 Bears. It doesn't mean it's a top 10 defense in the country. I don't know that. Like, that is what we're going to find out over the next two weeks. If this defense has made drastic improvements and they're a top 60 defense, if this defense has made drastic improvements and they're a top 40 defense, if this defense is a top 25 defense in one of those groups, that is what we're going to find out on October 7th when we sit down and do our post-game podcast. And I think I'll be able to definitively give you that assessment of, of what I think there. But right now, there's more questions about the running back rotation, 
about the offensive line. It's going to get Savion Bird back this week. So who, what, what does that split look like of how much of Bird versus Everett versus Caden Green still working in, stuff like that? If Dylan Gabriel's the Dylan Gabriel of the first three games of the season and he just had a bad performance on a couple of throws at Cincinnati, or if Dylan Gabriel is still that Dylan Gabriel from last year, which is what popped up at Cincinnati. The difference is they had a defense to extend the game and make that not a contest in the fourth quarter. Those are the things that I'm most interested in. Uh, I think we'll have our arms around where this defense is. Like I said, about 7 p.m. when we hit upload on the postgame podcast. In <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, and I didn't think Dylan played poorly at all against Cincinnati. I thought he missed the touchdown throw. I thought he missed the opportunity to loft one up to Jaden Gibson, who's six foot five and let him go up and get one. He probably would have made that catch if it was catchable. Um, uh, he, the, the curious little where he, uh, where he steps up into the pocket scrambles out and then sees his receiver who just gotten taken out by the defensive end. Uh, Andrew Anthony comes behind the formation. Okay. And it's almost like, okay, you need to act like you're blocking this guy. That's, what? And then he gets knocked backwards. And for some reason, Dylan Gabriel panicked and pitched the ball backwards. Thankfully for him with enough velocity that it made it to the sideline and got out of bounds. He had about four plays, two plays where you'd say, Ooh, bad throw. And two plays where you'd say, what the hell are you doing? Other than that, I thought Dylan played really well. We'll see. Um, yeah, Can't have that fumble either. I Right. That fumble was bad. That fumble happened right in front of we were basically in the at the goal line of that end zone. Yep. And seeing that play live, and again, there were just not a lot of accessible replays in the stadium for us, which is how we were situating the TVs, and there weren't a lot of replays anyway, which is fine. Yep. Um I remember that hit being a lot more jarring than what it looked like. And I watched that play probably five or six times to be like, Are my eyes deceiving me or whatever? Can't have that fumble. Can't have that fumble. So on that Anthony play, I have questions about the play design and Gabriel's decision. I, I think I understand what the thought process was because Oklahoma had gotten hit for an illegal man downfield on an RPO look against SMU, I think. Yep. So if you run Anthony behind the line of scrimmage and you complete that behind the line of scrimmage, that cleans up some of those concerns there. I think I would have rather just had the offensive line in pass pro run Andrew Anthony on a drag route one yard down the field where he can't just get obliterated. And then it's just not as concerned. Like, I, I think I would have just rather had that. Uh, but Dylan Gabriel still can't throw that football. Like you're a veteran guy. I think that was just a, all the way around chalk that up to really bad play. Maybe take that one out of the game plan going forward. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, speaking of Andrew Anthony, uh, eight targets, seven catches, 117 yards. He is the uh, he is the alpha right now in that in that receiver core, no doubt about it. And here's why I say this: it's not the 50 yard. Oh my God, he caught that catch, which was amazing, 49 yarder. It's the let's take our fastest guy or maybe second fastest guy in the entire receiver core and run him underneath and throw to him six times underneath and make him a possession receiver. Not that that's like I said that like it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You're getting that guy. You're getting your best receiver threat, your most talented, most dynamic, most explosive receiver threat. You're getting him the football with opportunities to do something with it. That's That 93-yarder that he had freshman year against Michigan State was an underneath route. He caught it, turned up field, made a guy miss, and he was gone 93 yards. 
That's what this Oklahoma offense needs is someone who can not just take the top off vertically, but get underneath and stretch things out, scare those safeties, scare those defensive backs into thinking, um, you know, what are we going to do? Not just what are we going to do with this guy, but when they throw underneath to him, oh my God, he's going to take it to the house. Those are the plays that are backbreakers. And so I, I totally respect the idea of getting him the football underneath short stuff making him work for sliding catches if you have to throw one under pressure or making him turn and, and kind of lower his shoulder and get into a guy. That tells you right there he's a complete receiver. He's not this one-trick pony, go deep and I'll throw it to you, you know, go to the fire hydrant and cut left, I'll throw it to you. This kid can play football, and that's the encouraging thing for me. Yeah, and when you look at it too, we knew on third downs last year, who was it that the two guys Dylan Gabriel looked to, uh, Drake Stoops and Brain Willis. This year, it's felt like it's been felt like. Excuse me, English is my second language. BS is my first language. Uh, it, it feels like Stoops and Andrew Anthony are the two guys that's looking. For. If it's going to Stogner, it's a design play for Stogner. The Farouk, it's not. He's not only getting the ball when it's design plays for Farouk, but like the Farouk chunk plays are like a we're going to run a bubble screen type action or something over on the on the Cincinnati sideline, and Farouk's going to get upfield, and, and that's kind of how they're getting him going and. and it just feels like on third down, Dylan Gabriel's super comfortable with throwing the ball up uh, to Anthony, whether it's – and I know this wasn't a third down, but Oklahoma gets the fourth down stop to end the third quarter. What's the first thing it feels like they do? Uh, Dylan Gabriel does the screw it, Andrew's down there somewhere, and just chucks it up to it. Like that shows a huge trust of what he can go do it and get the ball and, and, and come down with it. And I think it was Jesse Crittenden that was asking after the game, a great stat that – uh, Andrew Anthony, 21 catches this year as an Oklahoma Sooner through four games. Andrew Anthony, 19 catches through two seasons total as a Michigan Wolverine. Everything Andrew Anthony wanted in the transfer portal, opportunity, offense, all that through four weeks, paying off big time. Uh, he came to Oklahoma for a reason, and he's putting that reason to good use. So it's a great observation. Um, we've talked about the good. We've talked about the ugly, which is that crazy play by Dylan and the fumble and the two overthrows. Let's talk about the bad, which is uh, the running game. Ryan, are they going to get this thing fixed by Texas? Remember remember Lincoln Riley's first season, 2015, where he didn't know what to do with Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon? He'd never had an NFL running back before, so he didn't know how to use him. It took until the Texas game for him to figure that out. So that's what I'm asking, I guess, is not not that Jeff Levy doesn't know what he has. Maybe, maybe that's the case, because yesterday Brent Venables told us it's hard to play four running backs. And so you've got four running backs, two of whom might get all the carries one week, and then the following week they disappear. And the other two guys who didn't care, get any carries that week, suddenly they're the, the alphas in the room. And it's like, wait a minute, what? what? Why, why are these guys not playing at all? Well, it's hard to play four running backs. Does Jeff Lebby got this thing figured out yet? I, I don't think that they do, and I don't, and I don't think that it's a they don't have this figured out because they don't know what they have or anything like that. I think that it's not figured out because none of these guys have separated themselves. Yeah. And, and you're hearing in uh, what Jeff Levy said after the game is that they really are valuing what they're seeing on the practice field, and then you so that's what was said Saturday. Bear with me. We're going to put three things together here to get to the end of this. All Monday right. night on Britt Minimal's coaching show, which you can listen to on the franchise or on ESPN Plus or whatever, um, he had talked about that he values what DeMarco Murray has to say, the running backs coach, and that it's been hard in practice when two of those guys haven't been able to be full participants until like last week. 
that tells me that's Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. And that's going back to something Jeff Levy said during Tulsa week, which was he they wanted to get those two guys going. Why? Well, they finally had them fully healthy in practice to give them those reps. So now it feels like it's a everyone's back. There's no excuses. I was told everybody, all four of those guys, had at least an opportunity to work with the ones on Tuesday. So now it's time to go establish themselves. That's what Brent Venables said. He even asked, what did we do last year? Oh, Eric Gray got all the ball? Well, that's because Eric Gray separated. So I think at this point, everyone's healthy again. To me, that almost means it's a clean slate as far as show up in practice. We understand you've been banked up from here on out. You've got to be that most consistent guy in practice to get those carries. Now I'm interested to see if that means that they continue to play three guys. If, if they do the two and two, what that looks like, I don't really know. Then another part of it is I just don't think this offensive line is gelled in the run game either. So Jeff, let talked about inconsistency all over the board. Well, there are some moments where it felt like the, there was penetration. Then there were others where it might've been, Marcus Major, one of the plays where he slipped, and it, it's hard to put that solely on a guy, but like he can't slip. I thought it was like the best blocked play outside of maybe that first run of the touchdown drive in the second half where Major snapped off 19, and it just looked like Major had the hole and just fell. And so even when the offensive line's doing their part, then something happens on the back end with the running back. Yeah. So nothing has gone all together. This can go one of two ways, Who? build a lot of confidence against a well-coached Iowa state defensive line so that you have that firing going into Texas, or it looks bad. You're playing against a well-coached defensive line. I think Cincinnati had the horses and not the whole 11. Like they had the horses up front. I think Iowa state has a really good scheme and well-coached. Never knows what they're doing. And I think Texas is going to have the horses all over the field as well as a really good defensive coordinator. And so it's almost like, okay, they, they have this ramp in of, you got to get it figured out. And I almost feel like this is the perfect two weeks leading up to Texas for them to see the bad and fix the bad. Yeah. Major also had that, uh, that shoestring tackle where he got away from the defender and then it was just like a, literally like a flick this heel and he went down with nothing but green in front of him. If he keeps those two, keeps his feet on those two runs, um, his, his stats look a lot better. Those are a couple of 10, 15, maybe 20 yard runs and who knows what he does downfield. So it could be even bigger. Um, I, what I don't get is you you say, and I'm not disagreeing with you because the premise is there, but you say no one's really separated themselves. SMU, 21 carries for 117 yards by Tawi Walker. The following week, zeros. That's, I'm sorry, 21 for 117 and authoritative runs like he had against SM, SMU. That's separating yourself. And then you come back the following week, in the state of Oklahoma, at the University of Tulsa, and you get zeros. That's confusing to me. That's absolutely. And then the following week, he gets five at Cincinnati. Five, five carries. So since his hundred-yard game, he's had five carries. I just, I mean, I kind of get it that he's not explode. He's not Adrian Peterson. You know, he's not even DJ Wolf from that two thousand four running back class. Remember him? He ended up switching to corner cornerback that year point is you don't have the superstar you don't have the p ryan you don't have the mixing you've got a guy that just went for 100 100 yards give him the rock get him going give him an opportunity to get the wheels churning and the gears flowing right uh he's turned in by far the best running back performance we've seen so far and i think the guy that's going to 
The guy that's got the best long-term superstar potential is Gavin Sawchuk because he's got the speed, but he's got a lot to learn about running the football on the major college level. The guy that's probably the most talented overall is Javante Barnes. He's got a lot to learn about making guys miss and not trying to run everybody over. And he said that in an interview. He said he's trying to get that extra little wiggle. He's trying to get that extra little burst and avoid contact. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this uh, running game. But, uh, Ryan, we'll close this segment out real quick. With Go ahead. On Sachak, yeah. if I can hop in. They, for me, and this is opinion of Ryan, not anything we've seen or whatever, they don't have the explosiveness in the running game right now. You saw it in two spots, one really good run from Marcus major in the first half on that third and 19 throwaway play. And then that 19 yard run to start their touchdown drive. But we haven't seen with any consistency at any point in his career, Marcus major be able to take a, what should be a 15 yard gain and make it a game changing 50 yarder or something like that. Tawi Walker, we did see him break what should have been one of those runs against SMU. It ended as 30 yards because he just didn't have the top end speed to separate. I got news for you. Texas is faster than SMU. and It's not a (laughs) knock on him. It just speed is what speed is. Yeah. For me, with what we've seen through four games, Oklahoma will not beat Texas if they don't have whether it be in the running game or because Gavin Sawchuk is coming out of the backfield and catching the ball and turning swing passes into a first down, they need something like that. Because otherwise, I think Texas will be able to sit over Andrew Anthony and say, we're just going to try an umbrella you out of that. And I haven't seen Dylan Gabriel against elite guys or even Big 12 competition be consistent enough going down the field. They need some sort of threat of we're going to turn mundane plays into big 15 or 30 yard gains. And I think that Barnes and Sawchuck are the most likely to deliver that. I, I think Sawchuck has to get going against Iowa state, or I think Oklahoma can hang. I think they can score with Texas a little bit. I worry about the consistency. If Oklahoma's defense is really stressed in ways they haven't been with Xavier worthy and Jatavian Sanders. I think that long run you referenced against SMU by Tawi Walker may have opened the coaching staff's eyes to just, kind of how not fast he is because he, you know, he broke that thing into the open field and you're thinking that's it. 65, 70 yards. He's gone. It went for 30 yards. Cause he's just not explosive. He see, he's got great vision. He's got unbelievable balance, which is huge. Uh, the ability to hit a guy and keep your feet and keep your feet moving and maintain your, your uh, momentum in a positive forward direction. That's hard to do for ask Javante Barnes, right? Tawi Walker is an expert at that, but when he gets into the open field, you like, if you're Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, you like those long plays, those big plays, those chunk plays, and he might not be, Tawi might not be capable of delivering those with any any kind of consistency. Because like you said, Texas is a lot faster than SMU. Those those 30-yarders that, that were wide open against uh, SMU are going to be like four-yarders against Texas. Yeah, and, and there's... A huge role for a guy that you call his number, he gets you three yards Yeah, in the goal line, in short yardage, when you just need to get Dylan Gabriel going again. Like the dump off, I think, to Tawi were huge against Cincinnati to get him back into rhythm. Um, And he talked about those easy completions on Monday night, getting him back into rhythm as I was asking about that. But I, they've got to get Barnes and Sawchuck going. And I think that I think Jeff Levy knows that. And I think that's why that was the emphasis coming into Tulsa week. 
Okay, let's get on to second segment here. We'll take a quick break. We'll get into Iowa State coming up next. We've got some uh, podcast news coming for you guys and a little softball. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, all right. Sorry we took that longer. I thought it was a good talk, though. It was. I think I could have gone for another hour. We got some good educated opinions. There's a reason that I go for four, I guess. Then I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) it's been a good week for Eddie and I. Like, I I was worried that after, like, Tuesday, he'd be like, it's Iowa State, ugh, because that's kind of how he was all of, like, Tulsa week. But I think there's been enough on the bone that – we're also absolutely looking at, we as a show are looking ahead to Texas. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> Easy to do. <coughs> okay. Here we go. Quick swig of the caffeine that is the only thing keeping my <coughs> levels from off the floor. All right. Let's get tropical. In three, two, one. All right, segment two of the All Sooners podcast. If you guys are on social media, you get on Twitter. You can find us at all underscore Sooners. Pretty easy. You can find me at John E. Hoover. Get in there and subscribe. Get in there and follow because uh, we're building up those numbers every day. Ryan is at Ryan underscore Chapman. Underscore nope. Ryan Chapman. Underscore yeah. Ryan Chapman. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. No worries. Uh, follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. Ross lives in New Orleans, but he's still contributing a lot to the All Sooners cause. Uh, newly married, so congratulations to Ross again. Uh, Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 You can follow him for all the latest recruiting news. And, of course, Tim is at Tim Willert 2 Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All Sooners is free. No credit cards, no emails, no signups, no passwords. Just jump on there and click to your heart's content. Ryan, got some great news coming down the pike. I'm going to go ahead and reveal it now, even though they start with us next week. Infinite Asset Advisors is a new corporate partner with uh, the All Sooners podcast. InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com is what you're going to look for. Get with your man Corey Reedy and uh, just check out their website for now. We'll have some uh, we'll have some more with those guys and more information on their uh, on their what they do. Infinite Asset Advisors, the financial planners. They are the uh, they are the they're going to help us out uh, going forward here on the All Sooners podcast. We're partnering up with those guys and looking forward to it. All right, second segment, Ryan, Iowa State coming to town. Here's the deal. The number is all-time series against Iowa State. 79, seven losses, and two ties. 79 wins, seven losses, two ties. Of those seven losses, Lincoln Riley had two. (laughs) This is one of the things that was endemic to what was wrong with the Lincoln Riley era at Oklahoma. You throw a defense at Lincoln Riley like... John Haycock did uh, at uh, Iowa State. Drop eight, rush three, umbrella, three deep safeties. All of a sudden, Lincoln Riley doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a plan B. Well, what we're doing works for everybody. What we're doing works against every defense. Oh, crap, it's not working today. How do we fix it? What do we do? He didn't have a plan for how to fix it or how to counter or 
got he got outplayed by Iowa State twice. I should say he got outplayed by Iowa State three times. He should have three losses against Iowa State, the, the two-point conversion that was intercepted. So was it Parnell Motley, I think, finished that thing off? So that there's a different mindset now in Oklahoma, and it's uh, – I'm not saying Iowa State can't beat OU if Brent Venables is the coach. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's a different mindset now. There's a different, I don't know, flexibility in the coaching staff um, instead of being so rigid and trying to do the same thing over and over again. Maybe I'm overthinking it, Ryan, but uh, Iowa State's coming to town. First of all, Iowa State has been gutted of some starters, (laughs) been gutted of some depth. Uh, they're going to have a hard time, Ryan, keeping up with Oklahoma. That's my presumption. Uh, give me, give me a hint, Ryan. The line opened at fourteen and a half, or was it, it eighteen? It opened at eighteen and was 18. quickly moved to twenty. Yeah. And I don't do power ratings stuff like that. I just go by vibes and feels and what my gut tells me. And twenty-one feels like a decent line for this team. Um, you have to keep in mind. I know there's a great deal of respect for Iowa State and their defense, and they have been the best defense unquestionably yeah. since They're Peacock and, and Campbell got it rolling in the Big 12 year over year, like over the long stint. But I think you've seen this year, I went back and watched, I'm not going to pretend like I've watched every snap of Iowa State football. Uh, I'm not at Guantanamo Bay. I've not checked myself into that kind of football junkieism, but – they have moved to a little bit more four down linemen than they have in the past. It's not all the time, but they do work that in there, which tells me that they, while they have a well-coached scheme, they know that they don't have a Will McDonald up front to, to make the math, uh, to change the math a little bit. And this is a team, frankly, they've played Iowa and one of Iowa's touchdowns. I get that it was a defensive touchdown. Iowa does not play offense. They just have opted out of offense. Yep. Ohio is not a good football team. They did a good number on Northern Iowa, which is someone that they kind of, those games are usually close. Oklahoma State's offense is putrid, and they scored 27 points and had a, the ball and a chance to go score at the end of that game. It, this is not the Iowa State defense that we've seen the last couple of years, but it'll look kind of similar in structure. So that being said, Jeff Levy did a really good job last year of being really patient. I actually – it's not sexy. The numbers weren't great. I thought that that was one of his better called games last year. I thought he did a really good job of mixing in when to take his shots because you have to, while also not abandoning the run game and understanding to a certain extent, you take what they're going to give you. And so I'm really interested to see what that is. Oklahoma State's defense made Rocco Beck look like a superstar. He's looked like Rocco Beck the rest of the all, the other three games. Uh, so this should be – I, I talked about it on my radio show, and I wrote the story Wednesday morning at allsewers.com. We've heard Brent Venables talk about the leadership, how there's more of that leadership this year than last year. Where is that going to show up, guys? Well, they haven't had a ton of adversity as far as losing games. They haven't lost any. It's going to show up this week. Do not overlook Iowa State. That is what the leadership is there for. Brent Venables keeps hammering this number of, The Cyclones' last three trips to Norman, if you add up the score, it's 101 to 100. OU has combined margin of victory, one point. If Oklahoma takes care of business, doesn't have to look super sexy, but if you look up and it's a 21-point win, leadership, two thumbs up. This is a massive look-ahead spot. 
we've talked more about Texas on radio this week than we have Iowa State because Iowa State stinks. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, Dylan was uh, – okay, so OU wins that game 27-13. Dylan Gabriel, 15 of 26 last year for 148 yards. I think you said it right. Um, patient on Jeff Levy's part. Eric Gray rushed for 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they tried to get the running game going. Marcus Major had 12 carries, only averaged two and a half yards a carry. Um, so they were patient, like you said. Uh, but I don't know if patient is what a 14-point win, and pay, and that was at Ames last year, but a 14-point win this year and a patient offense is against a not good Iowa State team that came in without its quarterback, without its running back, without plenty of other players because of the summer gambling scandal. Um, Patient is not what this fan base wants to see against Iowa State. Iowa State wants to see boot to backside. I'm sorry, the fan base wants to see boot to backside against Iowa State. Well, and now, if Dylan Gabriel only throws 20 passes, no, he runs for 200 yards, I think the fan base is going to be just stoked, and it will – the fires will be stoked. I was looking at some stats last night. If Oklahoma and Texas take care of business, first top 15 matchups since 2019, a lot, a lot has to happen for in the top 25 for this to shake out. But it's not unreasonable for OU to jump four spots if there are upsets around the country. It'd be the first time since 08 that it could be a top 10 Red River shootout. I think that everyone wants that running game to be firing on all cylinders going in because I just, Dylan Gabriel's a good college quarterback. I just don't think anyone trusts him to go and win a shootout against Texas right now. So need that running game. And this is the last chance to get that running game online before the big litmus test, the big measuring stick, the big tech size measuring stick that is yeah. OU Texas. That's a good point. If they can get the running game going to a couple hundred yards on the ground, I think the fan base is going to be like a little more relieved. And I think, I think Texas is going to be looking at that going, oh, so they rushed for 200 yards against Iowa State. Hmm, hold on. We need, we need to look at the game plan again. We need to practice some more stuff. Um, is this one of those games, Ryan, you think Jeff Levy puts things on tape? to get Texas kind of stretched out a little bit, maybe stretched thin? I I think that it's kind of dependent. Um, I really think that more than anything, Oklahoma needs tape for Oklahoma. They, they need reps of – they've talked about being way more detailed in the run game. They need to show themselves this is the level of focus it takes during the week to for it to translate on Saturday. Uh, if OU's up at halftime, I think you see a wild third quarter of like, what is happening? Why, why are we running plays for Blake Smith over? What, what's going on? Like, I, I think that you could be sitting there if you're in the stands going, this is a weird third half where it's a bunch of tendency busters and all that stuff for analytics. But I think that I think this coaching staff has a great deal of respect for Iowa State. Whether you want to believe that or not, this coaching staff really respected SMU. Brent Venables was a big admirer of the trenches the ground game offensively for Cincinnati and what that defensive line is and I think that Brent Venables respects the hell out of Matt Campbell and John Heacock so I I don't know if that translates to the offense he had nice things to say Brent Venables said about Rocco Beck but a lot of it was talking about Iowa State's defense as a defensive line and I think that the game plan is going to reflect that early if it's still tight then I think you're just going to see a normal football game where the head scratching stuff comes from just head scratching stuff as opposed to being like, were they putting that out for Texas? What's yeah. going on? 
Yeah, and uh, I wrote the story yesterday, Ryan. You guys can check it out at allcenters.com about the, the defensive improvements. Are they for real? Um, I think this is one of those games that we're still not going to know. If Iowa State goes out there and puts up 179 yards total offense and only scores three points, everybody can feel good about that. But I don't think it's one of those things where it's like you fully commit to saying, okay, the Oklahoma defense is back to early 2000 standards or 2009 standards. I just think I think Texas is going to have uh, the ability to change that narrative uh, down there in the Cotton Bowl. So whatever you do against Iowa State, it, it's it's another stepping stone. It's another building block for what Brent Venables wants this defense to look like. And I asked him specifically, how close are you to being? What's in your mind for what this def- what you want this defense to look like? And he said, we've got a long way to go. He said that several times. We've got a lot of work to do. And he said to judge at the end of the season. And I I just, I think you're right. I don't think anyone's going to hang a banner with uh, a good performance against Iowa State because it's kind of been this defense of two minds. Every week we talk to these guys and they're like, the Brent Venables method is you have to approach every week like it's a nameless, faceless opponent. You have to prepare the exact same way. And then they'll come to us on Monday and say, with all due respect to Arkansas State, we understand that SMU is better than Arkansas State. With all due respect to Tulsa, we understand. I think that you're going to get a lot of, with all due respect to the five teams we've played so far, not a single one of them is going to hold a candle to what Texas can do offensively. Like I, I think that it's a very motivated but also self-aware group, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Um, you, you, The visual that you painted for me there is um, Texas's wide receivers – you know, running through the Oklahoma secondary. Uh, Texas has got some really good wide receivers. Obviously, Xavier Worthy comes comes to mind. Whittington comes to mind. Um, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end, comes to mind. We've seen, uh, and I asked uh, I asked Woody Washington this question. I asked um, Key Lawrence this question as well. You look like you're playing at a very high level. Would you say you're playing at a very high level? Woody said, yeah, I think I'm playing really well right now. You know, uh, people don't want to throw in my direction. I would welcome them to throw in my direction if the opportunity comes up. So, yes, uh, he said he thinks he's playing well. Key took it the other direction. Man, I'm just relying on my teammates. I'm just uh, trying to play within the system and, and play my best and do the best I can every play. I thought that was an interesting dichotomy of the basically the same exact question. Uh, you, you know, it takes a lot to play at a high level. Are you playing at a high level? You project that now onto the Texas offense. Quinn Ewers is throwing the ball right now with a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of talent around him, including a big offensive line that keeps him safe. Ryan, we've said it a couple of times on this podcast. OU's not looking forward to Texas, but we can look forward to Texas. What do you see coming down the pike there? I see a lot of Jatavian Sanders, a guy we, we've I've talked about, alluded to. If, you, if you're not familiar, if you haven't watched a ton of Texas football, totally fine. 6'4", incredible athlete at tight end. He's someone that Steve Sarkeesian is doing all sorts of things with because you have just the absolute deep threat that is worthy and the, the sure hands of Whittington. Sanders is a monster. And so finally, Oklahoma has a guy, right? It, it, we've had this conversation a ton with Iowa State in the past, of a Charlie Kolar, where you have an undersized safety trying to corral Charlie Kolar. OU has a DeSan McCullough. 
but we saw Desan McCullough bite on that screen and go against Cincinnati. And Brent Venables talked about it a couple of times this week. If you don't improve on that, every team's going to run it at you until you are solid. This is why I'm a little worried that Desan McCullough didn't play against SMU, didn't play against Tulsa. He needed as many snaps as possible in coverage because it's not just a baptism. This is the best tight end Oklahoma's going to play all year unless they somehow, someway make a college football playoff, which is a loony bin way down the road. Like, I'm not even putting that in the ether, but Brock Bowers, for me, is the only other guy that holds a candle to the pretzel that, that Sanders can put. So you, you add that in. I, I think that that's going to be the big thing, whether it's safety help over the top or Desan McCullough going straight up or Peyton Bowen working in at Cheetah, whatever that looks like. So I, I thought, oh, you did a good job caging Emory Jones and saying if Emory Jones throws the ball 41 times from the pocket, that's good. That's what we want them to do. I think that's Oklahoma's mindset. They need R. Mason Thomas back healthy. They need Paige Adeboy to, to make more strides and pass rush. They need Rondell Bothroyd. He did hit home and it was called for an offside. They're going to have to shorten the time Quinn Ewers has to work to help those guys on the back end. Because if, if Quinn Ewers has a clean pocket, Texas will name it score. And I think this Oklahoma defense is good. I think they have improved. I just think that Worthy and Sanders are that much better. So you're saying Brent Venables might need to come up with some creative pressures. It, unfortunately for him, he's never done that throughout his entire career. He, he has he, no idea how to do that. No, he's, he's very never set in his ways. He only knows <laughs> one defense. There's nothing he can do to confuse a young guy. Yeah, he'll. Uh, we're going to see some blitzes down in Dallas that we've never seen before. I would promise you that. Uh, Jatavian Sanders actually leads Texas in receiving yards, 268 yards and a touchdown. He's averaging 22 yards per catch. Uh, so Desan McCullough. Yeah, no, he's he's sick. He's really good. Uh, Desan McCulloch's going to have a big day, uh, big job kind of guarding him. Xavier Worthy's only averaging 13.3 yards per catch, <laughs> which is – I don't even get that. That doesn't even compute with me. But he does lead the team with 19 catches. Adani Mitchell, uh, Jordan Whittington, and even Jonte Cook, the uh, former guy, the one, one time was being offered by Lincoln Riley and was strongly considering Oklahoma – Coming out of Fort Worth, he's averaging 26 yards per catch. So he's a very talented player as well. Uh, I don't think they're really stressed about uh, the running game and replacing Robinson. But Jonathan Brooks has been very good. He's averaged almost six yards a, ca a carry. Um, I'm getting way too deep in the weeds on Texas because Oklahoma's got a game against Iowa State. But he is uh, – Jonathan Brooks is a guy that uh, is – He's their, he's their alpha running back right now. And I think that's, I don't know. He's, he's not a guy that's going to cast fear in anybody, but he's been very good and consistent yet. Eddie pointed this out this morning. When we were talking this exact same conversation. If you look at the uh, rushing rankings, uh, OU and Texas, the offenses are mirroring each other a little bit as far as finding success in the passing game. And both of these teams are kind of like, we feel like we should run the ball better than we yeah. have thus far. It... Texas, do your job. Oklahoma, do your job. College game day will be at the Texas State Fair. That's right. That. Good, good call. That'll be fun. Um, we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll have uh, all everybody there that's been at all the games so far. The three of us, you, me, and Randall. Uh, down there in Dallas. Um, Ryan, 
Shall we switch quickly to softball? Had some major softball developments this week. The most accomplished athletes that will actually be in attendance are if any OU softball players show up in the student section. That, that's actually the most accomplished, the most athletic, and the best athletes that will be in the Cotton Bowl. My guess is Jada Coleman will be there. I, I would also wager that Jada Coleman will be there, yes. So, uh, yeah, OU softball, a little breaking news this week. They got their uh, schedule for Mary Nutter, the Mary Nutter Classic out in California. And they're not playing Jordy Ball. What a ball breaker is that? Come on. I want to see OU against Jordy Ball. It uh, UCLA is in the field and Nebraska is in the field. And here is the slate. OU gets Mississippi State and Wisconsin in a doubleheader. They get Super Regional participant in that Salt Lake Regional against Utah, San Diego State. And then they'll close out with a couple of contests, one against Notre Dame, one against Loyola Marymount. Uh, yeah, as far as the teams that are there, it's not my favorite schedule that Oklahoma has ever played at the Mary Nutter. Uh, the Jordy Ball, Nebraska, I just don't think that was ever going to happen. Oklahoma has been integral in the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic, becoming the premier softball event in the country. Uh, even when ESPN poured a ton of money into St. Pete Clearwater, OU stayed true with the Mary Nutter. So I just don't think it was going to happen because I don't think that they were going to make Patty Gasso play Jordy Ball out there, but it's what we wanted to see. And I we we ha- I have not seen the Mark Campbell Invitational field. I've not even seen confirmation that Oklahoma will play. If the Mark Campbell happens, they will play in it uh, because Mark Campbell was one of the co-owners of the OC Batbusters, which is where every OU recruit ever has ever come from. So that that is going to happen. Uh, two years ago. Oklahoma did not play UCLA at the Mary Nutter. They played UCLA at the Mark Campbell. So if if UCLA is at the Mark Campbell with Oklahoma, that could still happen there. We could still get our what has become just a yearly non-conference matchup in California. But it's, I'm just going to be frank, Hoove, kind of kind of a bummer because the Mary Nutter has a ton of great teams. Not everybody that's at the Mary Nutter plays everybody. A bunch of SEC competition. Oklahoma's going to get Mississippi State, but they've played Mississippi State a ton because of the, the Ricketts connection. I would have been okay if Oklahoma skipped out of Mississippi State and got at least confirmed UCLA or certainly the Cornhuskers. Yeah. Uh, Patty is – I could see why she doesn't want to play against uh, Jordy and Nebraska. There's there's two reasons, obviously. One is personal. The other one is holy hell. <laughs> right? You don't want to pitch or you don't want to have to hit against somebody like that if you can avoid it. Take an early loss against a pitcher who happens to throw a no-hitter or something like that, right? But the other side is personal. And you don't want to have to game plan and, and root against Jordy Ball because and, – and frankly, Ryan, I think the fan base is like not sitting there waiting for the TV assignments so they can tune in and set their DVRs to record Nebraska. I just think it's too soon. I think the fan base is like, I'm out on Jordy Ball. It's too soon. It's too emotional. She did so many good things for our program that we can't uh, we can't buy into her pitching for somebody else. That's I get the feeling that there's a lot of fans out there who are feeling that way. Well, and and I want to clarify. I'm not saying there's like official requests put down, but but, but I'm just telling you the Mary Nutter uh, operating crew. I would have been stunned if they ever even considered because I think they would have just gone. Oklahoma's been so good to us. We're just not even going to broach this issue. We're just going to go ahead and be like, yes, Nebraska's playing at the Mary Nutter. Don't worry. That's not going to happen. And let's be honest. Nebraska's, if Jordy Ball's healthy, Nebraska will be in Super Regionals. She's that good. We want OU and Nebraska at Love's Field. 
We want that to be the first time. Give us three games. Give us Oklahoma, Nebraska. Can Jordy do it in Love's Field? That's what we want. There would be fans throwing up in the trash cans if that were the case. Jordy Ball coming to Norman for a super regional. Fans would be leaning over the rail. <laughs> Uh, I think Inter Sandman might be banned from the stadium for, for that series. <laughs> yes. Play some uh, Hello Kitty or something like that. Instead. <laughs> uh, Ryan, good stuff. Appreciate you jumping on. You're battling through some stuff, some uh, some cold, summer cold or something. So really, really appreciate you, man. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure everyone can hear it all pot. I actually, you're welcome. This is the only time I don't sound. I've been described as a Muppet before with uh <laughs> Someone who is not a fan of me, I would assume, on the franchise morning show. So you didn't get you didn't get Kermit Ryan today. You just got. Ugh. There you go. Good stuff. Hey man, appreciate it. Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet's going to join us. We're going to talk OU recruiting plus a little uh, a little Cincinnati Iowa State. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. And we're back on the All Sooners podcast. If you like the All Sooners podcast, then please like the All Sooners podcast. Give us a nice rating. Give us a five star rating on your podcast platform. Super helpful. Super, super helpful. Gets the uh, the algorithms going, gets the juices flowing, gets us out there in the public more frequently. Uh, so you can like us and share us on social media too. That always helps. And if you're watching on the YouTube channel, John Hoover Media, just like and subscribe there too. Leave us a comment. I heard somebody say they, don't, uh, they avoid the comments. I don't avoid the comments. I read them all because I value what you guys think. Uh, give us some feedback. Some of you are idiots and you know who you are, but most of you are awesome. So we love you guys. Uh, segment three, Randall has joined us. Uh, Randall, before we get into recruiting, which you've got some pretty cool updates coming down the pike, obviously the Sooners' latest commitment last week. How was your trip to Cincinnati? I loved it personally. I mean, on Friday, the food selection we got was phenomenal. You know, you, you took us to Skyline Chili and both to Pompilio's. I would say both of those, if you're in the Cincinnati area, you got to go to. Uh, Hoob's recommendations were spot on. Uh, Pompilio's was some of the best Italian food I've had. It was delicious. Uh, and overall, it was a really cool city. It was a fun first uh, true road game. And that was, I think it was a really cool city to have a first true road game to visit. Um, you know, no, no offense to the other cities that you know we'll, we'll be visiting on the road throughout our time at All Sooners, but I think Cincinnati is a pretty cool one uh, to start with. Yeah, I think we're planning on driving to uh, Kansas, obviously, uh, Stillwater, but uh, we'll be flying out to uh, to Salt Lake as well for the uh, BYU game. That'll be a fun. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited for that. We've got to get some food wrecks because uh, I've, I've been in the Salt Lake Airport, but I've never been like out of the car and out and about in Salt Lake. So there I can go. take us to like Canyonlands or Bryce Canyon or, uh, you know, Arches or something like that. I could take us around and show us some stuff. Sounds fun to me. But just in terms of like food recommendations in Salt Lake, I know nothing. So if you guys got some, hit us up. Hopefully we have some on, viewers uh, on social. Hopefully we have some viewers in Utah that will help us out. That's right. Hook us up. So, uh, yeah, what'd you think about the game, Randall? R Ryan and I talked about it in the previous segment. I guess segment one. Um, the Sooners, uh, we saw, we talked about Dylan Gabriel missed a couple of plays, a couple of throws, dropped the football once. Uh, the running game struggled a little bit. The offensive line struggled a little bit. By the way, I wanted to add real quick. I talked to Andrew Rame about that, and he said the reason we're struggling is not physical. We're not getting pushed around. We're not getting out physical up front. He said what we're struggling with is technical details of blocking the right people at the right time and taking the right steps and using the right hand. So 
he's encouraged. Uh, but Randall, what did you think about uh, the Oklahoma offensive performance Saturday? Well, I think that anytime, like you said, Dylan Gabriel missed a few throws, a ball bounced off his shoulder on a snap. Uh, he fumbled one time yeah. inside the red zone. I think anytime you can take all of those things into account and see that your team still won by two touchdowns, I think that's a pretty good day uh, as a from a whole team um, perspective. But obviously, offensively, there's some things to clean up. I still think that with what OU did offensively, there's plenty for OU fans to look forward to, to be excited about. Uh, you know, we saw the patent 50-yard bomb to Andrell Anthony. Um, obviously, hit another 100-yard game, continues to produce. I think the the biggest area of concern is, is obviously the running game, uh, kind of getting some of those guys going. Marcus Major had, as we've touched on, a few nice runs, nothing too uh, sustained, though. So you'd like to be able to get some more consistency out of uh, you know the running back room, and maybe as, as they get deeper into conference play, that happens. But I think as a whole, OU really has to be – OU fans really have to be – and the team itself really has to be pleasantly surprised with where the receivers are. I mean, those guys have been really, really good all season when the ball's in their hands. Uh, you know, we haven't really seen too many drops, obviously a few here and there. But I think that um, personally, I, I thought that the receiver core had potential. I did not realize that out the gate they would be um, this well established and performing this well. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Good assessment on the wide receivers. They've been the pleasant surprise for this team. I think you could say the same thing about the defensive backs. Key Lawrence graded out, according to Pro Football Focus, graded out at like 92.8. He's one of the best in the country last week. Uh, He had the interception, you know, score-saving, point-saving interception on the goal line in the end zone. Um, He's been phenomenal. Woody Washington has evolved into a shutdown cornerback. People are like, he gets about one throw a game in his direction. Uh, Billy Bowman had the uh, crazy batted interception across the middle. Mm-hmm. So I think OU's – and then you got Gentry Williams who right. – pass interference, okay, I'll buy that was pass interference. But the kid is playing with unbelievable confidence and yeah. game recognition and what's going on. And then Kanai Walker comes in and the confidence level shoots up mm-hmm. when Kanai Walker comes in. He's playing super confident right now. Uh, defensively, Ryan, Randall, do you think that uh, – that we're what we're seeing through four games is the real deal is the and Brent Venable said it's not the finished product but uh he's very proud of the improvements I I think that uh that's spot on and I think that I think that there will be better versions or that 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 there this defense is capable of being even better you know end of this year even in the future maybe you get different personnel and things like that but for what they are right now I think that it's clear that this defense is better than they were last year. I think that that goes without saying. Um, you know, you mentioned some of that defensive back depth. I don't think that last year that's something that we could have pointed to and said that that's a strength of the Sooners. Um, you know, Kanai Walker, you mentioned when he gets in, that's a big, long, physical cornerback that's played really well, like you said, played with a lot of confidence. I mean, um, even a guy like Peyton Bowen, a true freshman who's gotten in, he's played really well all over the field where he's played. Uh, you know, some of the younger defensive backs that don't get as many snaps, like a um, Makari Vickers, Josiah Wagner, Jacoby Johnson. I mean, the fact that those guys are even getting in the game that they've um, yeah. kind of showed themselves in practice enough to prove that they deserve at least a few snaps in meaningful minutes on the field. I think that that shows that, again, we've heard it all through camp, that competitive depth, they actually have that. It's not just something, it's not just a buzzword inside the facility. We're actually seeing that competitive depth come to fruition on the field on Saturdays, and it's helping them get these defensive back rotations in. And I think that uh, maybe an underrated part of that is 
when these defensive backs aren't playing every single snap, they're not worn out. And when they're not worn out, they're a lot less likely for a receiver to run right by them when, you know, Gentry Williams, Woody Washington isn't having to play every single snap of the game when they can kind of get some rest. And, and like you mentioned, it, it also helps to have other good defensive backs in there. And up front, I think in the front seven, they're playing really well, which also goes hand in hand helping the coverage guys out on the back end. Yeah, if you look at the freshmen that have played, whether it's P.J. Adebore or Peyton Bowen or Makari or, or some of the guys that redshirted last year that are playing now, mm-hmm. uh, don't forget Brent Venable's first full recruiting class, ranked number four in the country. There's a reason those guys are getting on the field uh, because they're good players, and there's a reason that they're getting on the field because they're being developed in the course of uh, spring football, uh, summer camp, you know, fall camp, uh, training camp, stuff, stuff like that, practice, and then uh, daily practice down there at the facility every day. They're getting film study. They're getting exposure to their older, more mature, more experienced teammates. Yeah. I think it's obvious mm-hmm. that uh, Oklahoma's defense is better right now, playing better, and, and it's due largely to recruiting, which brings me to my next point, Randall. The last, the most recent, the latest, I should say, sooner is in the fold, and it's a big one, the number one player in the state of Oklahoma. This is one week ago after the last week's podcast, so we have to talk about it even though it's old news. Daniel Okoye from Tulsa Noah Homeschool. Um, This kid, I I got to see him up close and personal. I got to interview him afterwards, talk to him, get to know him just a little bit. He's for real. He's unbelievably impressive. Yeah, and, I mean, like you said, you've seen him. I mean, we've seen that he – Physically, as a high, as a senior in high school, this kid is doesn't look like a senior in high school. I'll, I'll put it like that. He's very already very well built. Um, and again, for mo- most kids who, especially high school kids who are six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds, don't move as effortlessly as he does. Um, and I think that whenever he gets into a collegiate weight training program and gets with some collegiate defensive line coaches who can teach him how to use his hands, teach him how to use that size, the athleticism, that's when we're really going to see his ability skyrocket. That's when I think we can really see him take the next leap because obviously right now we've mentioned playing a homeschool football, playing against a lot of smaller teams and not, not that these teams aren't competitive. Obviously they play hard and they do what they can, but uh, whenever you get collegiate defensive line coaching, um, from guys like Miguel Chavis, Todd Bates, who the current players on the team rave about them, previous players who they've coached that are now in the NFL rave about those guys. Um, when Danny Okoye is able to get in and get work with those guys, we've seen it with P.J. Adebwari already. He's, uh, you know, they're teaching those young guys fast and they're giving them the opportunity to put what they learn to action on game days. I think that when we see Danny Okoye doing that, that's something that um, – Obviously, the coaching and the, the repetition will help him and getting to see him do it on game day. I think when next next season, when we see those flashes of him like we're seeing with P.J. Adebwari right now, granted, it might not be as many because maybe he's more raw than P.J. I don't, I don't, I don't want to sit here and compare them one to one. But uh, when he gets those same flash snaps that P.J. gets, we might see uh, those plays where we're going, wow, this is, this is a guy who's yeah. going to be special in the future. And I think that you need those types of players, those 6'5", 250-pound edge rushers heading into the SEC. I mean, you have to dominate in the trenches to be competitive in the SEC. And Danny Okoye helps you with that. <laughs> See if this makes sense to you. P.J. Adebore is more athletic than Danny Okoye, 
Danny Okoye is a better athlete than P.J. Atabore. Does that make sense? Like, Danny is his team's punter. Right. He plays uh, middle – he rushes from the stand-up middle linebacker spot. He also rushes from a hand-down defensive end spot, more classic 4-3 type stuff. Uh, he also plays wide receiver, lines up on the flank at tight end and will block. Uh, you see what I'm saying? He, he, you know, in terms of, I don't know about basketball or whatnot, but Okoye does more, is more maybe versatile mm-hmm. in terms of an athlete. PJ is just a wind him up, right. pull the string and, you know, he's gone. He, he's got seven foot. I, <laughs> I was talking to Rondell Bothroyd yesterday about that move that he made where PJ came in, mm-hmm. bumped the tackle, dropped his hands, knocked his hands back, and then all in one motion, knocked his hands down and stepped around him, took an extended step around him, and then sacked the quarterback. It's like, what? Where did that – that's an NFL move, guys. And if he can do that, if he can develop that with any kind of regularity, you pair that with what I said to Bothroyd. I said, is that something you can learn from? He goes, oh, yeah, no, I'd love to have seven-foot, nine-inch wingspan. (laughs) So (laughs) – you can learn from it. You could try to do it. But then if you've got a seven foot, nine inch wingspan and those long legs, that puts it in a completely different conversation. So PJ gifted in one area, Daniel Okoye, I think Danny Okoye gifted in a totally different area. Yeah. And I, I think I agree 100%. I think that those differing skill sets are, I mean, that you need that. It's like, I've heard people refer to building receiver rooms, kind of like basketball teams. You know, you want a slot guy who's quicker. You know, you kind of like the point guard style. You know, you want your big power forward. Well, defensive line is kind of similar. You don't necessarily want a bunch of pass rushers who you're throwing out there that do the exact same thing. If you've got guys that are different skill sets, you're always going to keep the offensive line guessing. And PJ, Danny, are both super athletic guys, but like you said, differing skill sets. And that can, if if you've got two guys that athletic on each end of the offensive line, good luck to those tackles. You met like you mentioned. I can't wait to see Danny Okoye get some coaching, yeah. get coached hard at, in college, and then get some technique coaching where he does. He's not, he's not just like bull rushing or or doing a three sixty or or knocking somebody back on every play because that's what he's getting by with right now. He's extremely gifted, and I think Sooner fans are going to absolutely love him. Um, the number one athlete in the country, and I say athlete just in terms of. He plays multiple positions, and nobody knows where he's going to play for sure in college. But Terry Bussey yeah. making his decision, Randall, tomorrow. What are you hearing about Terry Bussey? Well, uh, from what I hear, I, I, I'm i not going to lie. A few weeks ago, I kind of stopped keeping tabs on this recruitment. I thought that OU was kind of out of it, and I, it was something I, I gave up on. But some smoke started to kind of you know flare up recently, and so I, I reached out. And I what, I what I'm hearing is that, OU is not necessarily out of the race yet. Um, now, hmm. that's, that's not to say that OU leads or OU's you know in a great spot to land him tomorrow. But I think that uh, OU is still picking up the phone. I don't think OU's given up on this recruitment. I think that um, they wouldn't still be calling. They wouldn't still be trying so hard if they didn't think they had a chance. Um, which you and I have talked off the camera. It's really interesting that um, you know. Bussy, from what I've seen, will probably play receiver in college. OU's already got, I think, six wide receiver commits in the 24 class. Um, so that, that that would create an interesting dynamic. Uh, and it does, if he does end up committing tomorrow then to OU, then maybe you start to look at, well, is one of these guys going to decommit? I mean, seven receivers in one class is a lot. Maybe are, 
Is OU going to try to maybe play him at defensive back if he ends up committing to OU? But I don't, I don't think that that's the case. I think that he would be a receiver wherever he goes because he's that talented of a player. I mean, this is a guy, Timpson High School, Timpson, Texas. They won the state title last year. Led his team in passing, rushing, and receiving yards, which is absolutely just mind-boggling. Um, I mean, this is what? a guy who, in in long jump, I think he jumps like over twenty three feet in track and field. He runs like ten four, ten five in the hundred. This is a, an insane athlete right here, Terry Bussey. Um, there's a reason he's a five star, like you said, number one athlete in the country. Um, I think that if I ha- if I had to guess right now, I would assume that um, Texas probably lands his services. But that's just a, again, that's just a guess. I don't know that for certain. No one's told me that for certain. That's just um, parsing what I'm hearing. Um, but A&M, OU, Texas, they're all going to be battling it out until he makes that decision tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I, I said it would be, you'd kind of, if he does commit, you'd kind of wonder, you know, what they do in the receiver room. I think that that takes a back seat because this is such a talented player that if you're OU, you worry about that later. You take him first and just, yeah. you know, get your hands on the five-star prospect. I mean, there's not many athletes like Terry Bussey ever, really. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, take what you can get now, uh, parse out the uh, snaps uh, or scholarships or playing time or whatever, parse that out later. Deal with that when it comes down the road. You get as many of these guys as you can right now. Uh, and like you said, there may be a, it may come to a situation where one of these other receivers uh, sees the writing on the wall or talks to Emmett Jones or whatever the machinations are there and uh, decommits. That That's a possibility. That's how recruiting works. It's uh, not a good thing, not a bad thing. It's just how recruiting works. So uh, defensive back Reggie Powers committed a long time, I believe, or a fairly amount of good, a fair, a fair amount of time to Michigan State. Mel Tucker officially fired today. Michigan State looking for a head coach. Reggie Powers, defensive back out of Dayton, Ohio, looking for a new team. Apparently he decommitted today or yeah. yesterday. And and this is a guy who recently picked up an offer from OU, I think. Um, yep. I think when Brent Venables came to OU, he kind of talked about it's not really his style to necessarily go after a ton of committed players. Um, and maybe he was just referring to the Clemson guys that he left in that in that situation. But I think that that tag kind of was carried with him for a little bit that he doesn't go after the committed players. Well, when all of this um, around the Michigan State program started to kind of bubble up, I think that maybe OU realized that Reggie Powers would be looking for a new home, and that's when they, they they tried to swoop in and they made that offer. Now, I think that um, given how well OU's defensive backroom has played up to this point, um, that they have a really good um, track record now to point to and say, look in one offseason how m- improved this defensive backroom is. Look what we were able to do personnel-wise, development-wise, strength and conditioning. And, I mean, when you're a player from – so he's from Centerville High School in Ohio. It's a really good football school. When you're from a school like that, you want to go to a, a place that, you know, they're developing players well, where you feel like you have, you've got a shot to not only get on the field, but when you get on the field, that team's going to put you in the best position to succeed. And right now, with OU's defensive backs, they've done a great job of, you know, kind of showing um, not just Reggie Powers, but a lot of defensive backs around the country that this is not the OU we've seen in the past five years. This is... A different like we talked about just a few minutes ago this this defense has turned a corner and that that's at least the recruiting pitch that they're trying to make here i think with reggie powers um they're selling that really well i think that ou is in a really really good spot with him and i um i mean 
there's a few defensive backs that they're still fighting for, you know, him, Devon Jordan, uh, some other guys. But uh, right now they, they've only got um, one safety committed. Uh, well, I guess they've got two, Michael, Patterson McDonald, and Jaden Hardy. But, again, a player like that, very versatile. You can kind of figure out where you put him. Um, and kind of the same similar thing, you figure figure out the scholarship count afterwards. You want to land – this is a four-star prospect. You want to land guys like that. Hard-hitting, big safety, you know, typical um, – the typical type of guy that we've seen uh, these these this defensive coaching staff go after. Mm-hmm. A couple of uh, excuse me, <laughs> a couple of quick offensive line notes for you guys. Uh, Daniel Akinkunmi from uh, England. Yes. NFL uh, Academy is uh, he's making his announcement on October twelfth, and uh, Grant Bricks, five star I think, high four star out of Iowa, depending on who you follow. Um, twenty twenty four class he's wearing. At his most recent game, Nebraska gloves, Ryan, uh, Randall tells me. So uh, who knows how those are going to end up. But uh, we'll move on to this week's news, Randall. Got some visits. Got some big, important, and future visits coming up this week to uh, to Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, so, you know, on that note of offensive linemen, you know, maybe maybe Bricks uh, is not trending the Sooners' direction right now. That remains to be seen. I, I don't want to, you know, put anything out there in the world. But – uh, it seems like that's a, that recruitment is a fight, at least. Um, but if that doesn't go OU's way, I think that, that there's, again, still punching for um, Jordan Seaton, who's going to be in town this weekend when the Sooners play Iowa State on Saturday night. Uh, this is a high four-star recruit from IMG Academy, originally from the Washington, D.C. area. Um, he's, if you looking at the 24-7 sports composite, top 40 player in the country, one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country. And in an offensive line class that I think has four commitments right now uh, for Bill Biedenboe, uh, you know, you'd love to get at, you know, pick up another one of those guys, um, you know, really build out that offensive line group. And um, this would be one of the highest rated recruits, offensive line recruits that Bill Biedenboe's ever landed. Um, you know, we talked about that last year with Caden Green, right? That he was one of Bill B's highest rated offensive line recruits. Well, Jordan Seaton would have a chance to be right there in that mix too, again, High four-star recruit, really talented player from IMG Academy, who in the 2024 class, OU's done a really good job recruiting. You know, they've got Daniel, uh, sorry, David Stone. They've got Jaden Jackson in the 2023 class, Phil Pachati. So this IMG Academy pipeline is something that OU's really trying to build. Could continue with Jordan Seaton, see uh, kind of where he stands after his visit this weekend. But you have to think that if OU's offense really puts a good foot forward against, I know it's Iowa State, and they're not going to be in the conference for much longer, but... This isn't the Arkansas states of the world anymore. You know, this is conference play. This is if you're getting into the middle of the season. This is a night game. If you put your best foot forward in front of him, then you have to think that um, you know visiting this visiting this close to the end of the cycle is going to be really a really good um, uh, positive impact in on his recruitment for the Sooners. And then also yeah, one reason one reason he's such a good offensive lineman is he's playing against all those future sooner D linemen at IMG every day in practice, right? So yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting storyline if he were to commit to Oklahoma for sure. Yes, like like you said, the as as we hear every OU player say when we ask them about their their teammates, iron sharpens iron, and iron. <laughs> and um, but in all seriousness, like you you're absolutely right. I mean, blocking David Stone, Jaden Jackson other five-star D1 prospects every day. It definitely makes you a better player. Um, also going to be in town this this weekend is a high four-star receiver, Andrew Marsh, from the Houston area. This is a 2025 receiver, so he's a junior in high school right now. 
and I think that a lot of receivers in this 25 class are really trying to see where they sit with Oklahoma because OU's already building out that receiver room in 2025. I mean, you've already got three commitments, three four-star commitments, Grayson Harris, Elijah Thomas, um, Jaden Nickens. And I think OU likes all three of those guys. So if there's any other receivers who want a spot in that 25 class, they I think those guys are starting to realize they're going to have to take it soon, um, which can go both ways for you. That could be good. It, it could help, you know, those guys um, make their decision faster, like um, kind of like a, a Jaden Nickens or something like that. Or it could, you know, it could make some of these guys shy away. I think what's good for the Sooners is that the type of players that they want on their team are the types of guys who are attracted to things like that, who are attracted to that competition, who want to go and earn it. Um, I, that's the guys I think that, that OU wants on the roster. And so if there are receivers who see, like maybe an Andrew Marsh, who see, okay, this receiver room is starting to get pretty full. If I want a spot there, I've got to go go make it known now. Um, I think that – or not I think. I know – I saw he was in um, in Norman this summer for the Brent Venables camp. He dominated. Uh, he made it look easy. Um, I know I said that about a lot of receivers there, but with him, you could tell it was a different level um, of playmaker than a lot of those other guys there. And I think that if OU is able to land him, then he just makes that 2025 class uh, so much more explosive than it already was. Um, I think Kevin Sperry's done a great job of uh, recruiting, helping recruit in in that class, and I w- I would imagine that he'll be he'll be there on Saturday. I haven't. That's not been confirmed. I can I can reach out and you know do some work on that but i would assume that he will be there he was at the two previous home games being a commit being right down the road it wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's there again especially with C, um, jordan seaton and even more so andrew marsh in town you know you'd love to get sperry kind of there help build that relationship with them another guy who's going to be in town uh already committed to ou devon mitchell uh highly rated tight end in the 2024 class um the, again Maybe not as news breaking because he's already committed to OU, just kind of taking that visit, you know, coming to see what it's like on on game day and everything like that. But again, when you have a commit in the, uh, especially a high profile commit like that in the class that's coming to the game that's going to be there, it really helps uh, recruit the other players that are going to be there because when the coaches aren't talking to them, you know, the coaches are doing their thing during the game, you've got a Kevin Sperry or a Devon Mitchell who's there, you know, in the ear of these other recruits that are, you know, convincing them and doing their own recruiting. Okay, that's good stuff. So give me on my, uh, for Friday, no, for Saturday, my game day copy that we do, give me Austin Stogner for Under the Radar because <laughs> they're going to want to show – yeah, exactly. Uh, what, the, what they can do with the tight end. Gonna, he's going to have six catches for 140 yards and three touchdowns. Blake Austin Stogner. Smith's going to get plenty of action uh, as, as the – they're going to run two tight ends set, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, with recruits in town and tight ends, Jordan, yeah, this, it's going to be uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting. By the way, uh, the Danny Okoye commit, uh, we, we try to follow one so we're not – you know, up and down, back and forth, but we follow the team rankings usually as close as we can from 24 seven sports. And, uh, according to 24 sevens team rankings, the class of 2024 Oklahoma's class currently ranks number seven after Danny Okoye's commit. They are one point out of sixth and they are one point out of fifth two uh, two points total out of fifth. So 
Um, they get another commit. Who knows how that's going to bump them up. But I'm just telling you guys that Oklahoma and Brent Venables is that close to another top five recruiting class. Randall, any other uh, any other things you want to finish with? Uh, quick, very brief note. Um, they, oh, you also got a walk-on commitment from a local player, um, Dax Knowles. He's a defensive back from Norman High School. Um, again, walk-on, so he's not going to be the most high-profile name, but it's always cool to see the Sooners continue to pick up local kids, especially from the city of Norman. And, you know, Norman High School is not usually the, the uh, feeder school to OU. It's usually Norman North when we look at that. Um, this, is a, this is a kid who's a really, really good athlete, very versatile. He plays, I mean, wildcat quarterback. He plays receiver. At, at OU, I would imagine he's going to play defensive back, probably safety. Um, but, he, he, you know, he plays corner, kind of an outside linebacker role, a lot of safety. I mean, all over the field for Norman High School. Um, he was at the Brent Venables camp this summer. He performed really well there as a defensive back. And uh, it was really evident to me there that the coaching staff liked him. This is a guy who had a couple D1 offers to, you know, service academies. I think Dartmouth maybe was in there too. So, again, really solid football player. Uh, It's just another example of Brent Venables, this coaching staff, this recruiting department, just going out, finding versatile football players that they think can make a difference on the team. Now, Dax Knowles might not ever carve out a role as a starting safety, or he might not pull the Gavin Freeman where he's, you know, the star walk-on that everyone loves. But a guy that's that versatile, that's that athletic, that you're getting as a walk-on, that could be a valuable special teams player. And if he does end up being a valuable special teams player, I mean, that's a huge pickup that you got as a walk-on. Those guys are important. So just adding guys to the fringes of this roster that are going to, you know, help however they can, whether it's pushing guys in practice, whether it's playing on special teams, even like we've seen Gavin Freeman making plays in the passing game, whatever it is, um, the the staff continues to turn over every rock and and uh, not leave any stone unturned. The uh, the team gets better, the offense gets better, the defense gets better, the talent, uh, the scholarship guys get better when the walk-ons are really, really good players because it pushes them to, to hold their starting job, but it also pushes them in practice, mm-hmm. uh, pushes them in practice to get reps when they're going against really good scout team players. So you need if you've got a really crappy scout team or you've got a bunch of goats on your scout team, you're not necessarily going to get good looks in practice. You're not going to get good good pre- game preparation, yep. and it's not going to make you better. So you nebs, you absolutely the successful programs have uh, really good scout team players, really good walk on players that mm-hmm. are you know massaging the scholarship numbers, whether it's academic or NIL or something else. Yep. They're contributing in their own way, and uh, you, it makes every, it elevates all boats. Right, the high tide rises all boats. Right, that's what they say. So, um, are we doing any uh, any players this weekend, Randall? You and me, uh, high school games. Yeah, are we going to any high school games? I'll have to check the schedule. I, from what from what I saw, I don't remember there being any games that are super high profile. There's a few matchups that have got some some maybe OU targets, some future OU targets. Um, I know that yeah. um, I think one that's really interesting, South Lake Carroll versus uh, Denton Geyer on Friday night. Um, Geyer, nice. always a stacked program. Same thing with South Lake Carroll. Um, you know, we're talking about 2024 wide receivers. Jacob Jordan, who's another walk-on wide receiver in that 24 class, he's at South Lake Carroll. He's had a good season so far. They've also got Brock Boyd, who's a 26 offer. Um, that game, I think, would be even more intriguing if Riley Wormley was able to play. 
Um, this is a guy who is still waiting one more week before he's able to get back out on the field as a OU offer 2025 running back uh, who the Sooners don't have any commitments in that department yet. So that would be really intriguing uh, if he were able to play, but we'll have to wait another week on that. But on Geyer's side, they've got a few guys who were at the Brent Venables camp this summer. Um, if anyone watching is a fan of a big fan of recruiting, Zane Rowe is a name that you need to know already. Uh, this is a kid who's a 2027 true freshman coming into high school before he even played a snap of varsity football. Georgia, LSU, Florida, all the big name schools already offering him, already in on him. Uh, he was at the Brent Venables camp working out with the high school kids before he even started high school. There's a kid 6'5", 230 right now as a true freshman in high school. Um, he's going to be a big time recruit. OU's in on him early. Uh, so I think that that game between Geyer and Carroll is interesting. We'll have to check the schedule to see uh, what else is going on, but uh, but we might might get out there if there's uh, some worthy games, eh? Yeah, I think it's week five, midseason, so here we are. Yeah. Uh, these kids, their senior year or their junior year, in some cases, uh, almost wrapped up already, almost halfway through. So good stuff, Randall. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Hoof. All right. Hey, thank you guys as well for listening. As always, uh, we'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. And you can catch that one and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.